0: Adams on Agriculture, brought to you by Sinex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, a more complete additive package for a more complete burn.
1: Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your
0: host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you for joining us and letting us be part of your day, and we hope you're having a good day. We have a busy program coming up for you. We're going to talk a lot about market development work. We'll talk with the chair of the U.S. Soybean Export Council and the president and CEO of the U.S. Grains Council. We'll find out how those groups are working to develop markets for U.S. growers all around the world, especially the challenges during a global pandemic we're also going to be talking with usda undersecretary bill northy time of transition of course at usda and some news concerning a change in commodity program payment eligibility rules that we'll talk about with undersecretary northy coming up on the program also a quick mention uh the dtn ag summit is coming up it'll be a virtual event this year it's coming up december 7th 8th and 9th and if you would like to uh have a chance at some free registration for that. We're giving away some free registration to some folks this year again. Go to our website, Adams on Agriculture. Check it out. You'll see the information there for you to, uh, to sign up for that. We'll draw a couple of names for free registration to the upcoming DTN Ag Summit. A lot of virtual events going on and coming up. One of the virtual events going on right now is our National Association of Farm Broadcasting Convention. Today is the day we call Trade Talk, where we talk with a lot of folks uh, throughout agriculture, one of those being the uh, uh, American Coalition for Ethanol and CEO of ACE, Brian Jennings. I would be talking to him in Kansas City, but uh, we'll do it remotely as most things are done these days. Brian, how are you?
2: Hey, Mike, I'm doing okay. I'd rather be in Kansas City with you, but uh, maybe we'll make an exception this year, huh?
0: Yeah, yeah, we look forward to all getting back together again, hopefully sometime soon. Well, let's talk about uh, this time of transition Uh, I talked yesterday with Jeff Cooper with the Renewable Fuels Association. He talked about his concerns that uh, EPA, kind of on their way out the door, this EPA, they might grant some parting gifts to the oil industry and grant these uh, small refinery exemptions that uh, they have on their desk. Are you concerned about that too?
2: I am concerned about that, Mike. I, I sure hope they wouldn't, and I think the precedent that was set earlier this year two important developments of course we've talked about this dozens of times the 10th circuit court decision we won back in january should rein in epa's ability to grant these exemptions and then of course in september when epa denied 54 of those so-called gap year refinery waiver requests i would hope those two things would bode well for us in in clearing the deck of these uh pending small refinery exemptions before the end of the year but you just never know and and I guess I'm concerned that we haven't heard much from EPA no smoke signals no no indication of where they might go on this and or when they may may make a decision
3: Brian can you hear me Hello? now I can okay yep yeah, well that's why we should have been in Kansas City we wouldn't have had these technical difficulties if we'd have been face to face uh sorry about that uh, the line just dropped out so let's let's pick up where i was asking you do you get any feel or indication how a biden epa might handle the sre issue
2: we're trying to get our arms around that right now all we have to work on mike is some statements that candidate then candidate biden made this summer um, regarding the RFS, he said he would put an end to these small refinery waivers. He called it an abuse of the RFS that they were granted. Um, and he vowed to get the RFS back on track. So that's what we have to go with right now we're we're reaching out to his transition people to engage them on on this topic and a host of others to try to get some more you know concrete uh, ideas of where they're going to be, but uh, you know we're we're working on that as we speak.
3: It's been a tough year for the ethanol industry here in 2020. Um, where where is the industry here as we come to a close in this year? towards uh, still dealing with the effects of COVID, the shutdown on uh, many much of the economy in places, kind of going through that again. That hurts the fuel demand. Where are we, Brian, for the industry?
2: Yeah, we're, we're about 15% off of where we should be in terms of ethanol production and use. And in some ways, that's pretty remarkable, given that things collapsed by about 50% back in March and April. But we just can't seem to get a full recovery of this fuel marketplace, largely because of the pandemic, as you noted, and the downturns that are looming both in the United States and around the country. And so a lot of the producers are still operating below capacity, Mike. Some very large operators have shut down their facilities, which frankly helps with the supply-demand imbalance. We're looking all around the world. We're trying to figure out ways, right, to to export product if we can. But, of course, the pandemic is global, so it's impacting that. I will say I think folks are um, optimistic, as they can be, about, getting into a new year, hoping that we can continue to develop E15 markets, E85 markets, try to get this RFS back on track, and maybe there's opportunities for some new, you know, clean fuel policy initiatives at the state level, and maybe at the federal level under a a new Biden administration. So we'll be looking forward to those things next
3: year. Yeah, uh, I remember at the end of 2019 we were saying let's let's turn the page and get to 2020. Well, that didn't turn out so yeah. good. Hopefully it'll be better this time, right when we turn this page of the calendar. <laughs> well said. All right, Brian, always good to talk with you. Thanks a lot and uh, we'll be in touch. Thank you.
2: Thank thank you, Mike. Take care.
3: Brian Jennings, CEO, of The American Coalition for Ethanol. Well, the challenging times continue uh because of the worldwide pandemic, it makes it really tough trying to uh, develop markets, uh, places for us to sell our ag products around the world. But there's a lot of good work going on, even with the challenges of COVID. We'll talk with the chair of the United States uh, Soybean Export Council, that USEC. that's coming up next. How are they still working to get us more market share in uh, key places around the world? We'll find out next. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA.
0: Atoms on Agriculture, brought to you by Synex Premium Diesel. Synex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Every Tuesday, we'll be sitting around the table, sponsored by CHS. Join us and learn how CHS creates the vital connections that empower agriculture, helping farmers and ranchers like you succeed. We'll hear from different voices from throughout the cooperative system, sharing stories about how good things happen when people work together. Join us around the table every Tuesday or visit cooperativeownership.com
4: to learn more. Young farmers don't listen to the radio, right? Wrong. In a recent survey, 74% of young producers said they get their most important agricultural information from their trusted farm radio station. Surprised? Don't be. If you think about it, it makes perfect sense. Radio is the perfect companion because it goes with you everywhere. Whether you're in the shop, on the combine, or in the truck, Farm Radio is right there with you. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting.
0: Recently on Adams on Agriculture, let's look now at some meat export numbers, especially pork, some encouraging numbers. As we talk it over with Dan Hallstrom, President and CEO of the U.S. Meat Export Federation.
5: The exports for September on pork came in really about where we expected, 10% growth year on year. But China was up, but it wasn't the only market up. Broad-based growth, which is encouraging. We saw significant increases in Japan, Vietnam, Philippines, Taiwan, Chile, the Caribbean, several markets. So we're very encouraged by that. And one of the drivers here in Asia specifically is the demand in Asia is really getting back. It varies a little bit by country, but in general, really getting back to normal. A lot of activities are happening, in-person activities, consumptions rebounding, the economies are rebounding. So it's really a perfect storm for increased business in the Asia region.
0: For the information important to rural America,
5: join us on Adams on Agriculture. The Home Service Club sponsors this paid advertisement. Attention homeowners, broken AC $4,600, water heater $1,500, fridge on the fritz $1,000. You need home warranty coverage from the Home Service Club. For around $1 a day, if any of your covered appliances and systems break down, HSC will either do the repair or replace them. HSC has over 15,000 pre-screened, highly rated technicians with the fastest response time in the industry. HSC provides coverage for up to 47 different appliances and systems in your home. Call for a free, no-obligation quote from a trusted HSC service specialist about a home warranty for your entire home, all backed by a 30-day money-back guarantee. 800-434-5301 Call now and get your first month free, plus $75 off your first year. 800-434-5301 800-434-5301 That's 800-434-5301 800-434-5301. 800 434 5301.
0: Adams on Agriculture is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. With Sinex Premium Diesel, you can count on a diesel that will keep your operation in top shape. Information America's farmers and ranchers
1: need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams
0: well even during a pandemic there's a lot of work going on to develop markets for our ag products and we talk a lot about soybean sales to china that's obviously very important but we have a lot of other key markets around the world as well joining us now is the chair of the u.s soybean export council monty peterson monty thank you for joining us uh difficult times but still the work goes on Uh, the market development work uh, continues right
6: yeah, that's absolutely right. Uh, great to be with you this morning, Mike. Uh, appreciate the opportunity.
0: So, kind of give us an idea how the Soybean Export Council is operating during a pandemic, uh, the challenges that you face in going into these countries and and developing these markets.
6: Well, let me uh, let me mention that you know the sole purpose of, of USEC, the U.S. Soybean Export Council, is to uh, differentiate and you know build a preference. Uh, while ensuring market access for U.S. soy. And, uh, you know, I, I think that uh, it's it's often said we don't actually sell anything at USEC, but we absolutely work uh, from the farm gate all the way to the end supplier and helping that supply chain, uh, you know, uh, utilize U.S. soy. Uh I think there's no question in my mind that the global soy complex has pivoted. You know, the world is is, is transitioned uh, from a global surplus of soy to the one of uh, tightening supplies as as the global demand swells and you know, fortunately, I think uh, you know, in the US here we're we're moving that uh, pile of soy.
0: Yeah, there's been quite a change in that whole scenario. Uh we st- started the year and went through about half of the year talking about burdensome stocks and supplies and that has really changed now and of course you we see the sales to china that has helped move more product we watch now the growing season in south america to see what kind of crop they will have coming but the whole script is really switched hasn't it
6: yeah i think it has you know uh, when we talk about global demand for soy um you know, it's it's rising uh, over the last 10-year uh, period. You know, we've we've typically trended about uh, a growth of about 11.5 million metric tons per year. Well, this year, I mean, we're up uh, we're up in the neighborhood of 15.2 million metric tons. So, uh, significant increase over the last uh, 10 years, and you know, the encouraging. I think the encouraging thing for for U.S. soybean farmers is, is that the global demand continues to rise year in and year out. Uh, you know, we're in a growth market.
0: We're talking with Monty Peterson, U.S. Soybean Export Council chair. Monty, so much attention goes to China. Obviously, they're so they're key. They're a huge market, but there's a lot of other good markets around the world as well.
6: Yeah, that's that's true. Um, you know, I think uh, USDA is projecting record U.S. exports uh, for for the marketing year uh, 2021 of about 2.2 billion bushels. And you know, through the first 10 weeks of the marketing year, uh, you know, our export commitments are nearly uh, 50 million metric tons. And uh, and you know, with additional commitments of nearly uh, 30. million metric tons to all overseas destinations. And, you know, that's a record for this point in the season. Um, Obviously, uh, China is a big factor in that. Uh, You know, China's pork industry is is returning uh, to something uh, that uh, they saw pre-ASF and and pre-COVID. But we uh, at USEC have... uh, always uh, been diversifying our efforts and in, in building demand across across the globe. Uh, you know, we've been working on both on existing relationships abroad and investing in, in new ones uh, to, uh, to address protein deficiency amongst uh, uh, various populations.
0: You know, market development work... So much depends on the relationships you can build with with those customers. They like to know uh, who they're doing business with and feel comfortable in that relationship. How has that been made more difficult uh, during COVID? I would think, because it, it had to have limited some of your face-to-face contact. Well, it certainly
6: has. Uh, but you know I, I'm just uh, you know I'm just thankful that we have the technology that we do today. Uh, in a time like this, uh, you know, I think that, uh, you know, I think uh, USEC is, uh, you know, we've we've completed something like over 170 virtual meetings. We've reached reached out to over 33,000 uh, customers around the globe here. Uh, obviously, that couldn't have been done without the technology that we have today. And you're absolutely right. Uh, We have to continue to communicate with our customers. Um, You know, that uh, building and maintaining that relationship is is absolutely a must.
0: Well, you talked about this growing demand worldwide for soy some might think well if there's this kind of demand if they need it they're going to come to us anyway explain why it is important to to aggressively and actively market u.s soy in these countries around the world
6: well we we cannot uh, focus on one customer obviously china is uh, you know the largest customer by far but we have to diversify our interests around the world we uh, we're fully aware now uh, of what uh, what can happen when we uh, we are we're vulnerable when we only rely on one customer and so uh, I don't know that uh, our efforts have uh, changed anyway we've always been focused on all uh, markets around the world and you know we have some really shining examples of that I, I think uh, you know when you look at uh, the South Asia region, you know, we've uh, we've had uh, tremendous growth in that Bangladesh and Pakistan and, and even uh, uh, up in Egypt. Uh, you know, we're, t- we're talking about growth markets there that have been growing at a rate of 50 to 500% uh, in the last uh, four or five years. So, uh, and of course, we have other, you know, we have other destinations too that have been really good and strong growth markets for us. Mexico and Indonesia, along with Vietnam. So, I mean, uh, there are other areas of the world that are, are good uh, customers of ours. The, the potential of growth is there. And uh, and we're working hard to service uh, those markets also.
0: And, Monty, a lot of this, too, is education, showing them how they can use soy and how it would work for them. and uh, It's an educational process, isn't it?
6: Yeah, it certainly is. Uh, You know, we've launched uh, a couple of new campaigns here uh, as of recent, and, uh, you know, one of those is uh, the development of what we call our soy excellence centers uh, around the world. We're in the the process of uh, getting those ramped up, and that's certainly based on education. You know, it's a way to advance the region's soy supply chain, uh it's uh, it's bringing in the educational component into uh uh livestock producers in those regions on how to improve their uh, uh feed rations and uh you know i, I think uh we're, we're going to we'll see good things come from that
0: yeah i think The key here, and I I always try to come back to this, there's more to it than just saying, hey, you need soybeans, we have soybeans, so here, buy some. I mean, there's just so much more to it than that.
6: Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's all about uh, developing those markets. And, uh, um, you you know, another campaign that uh, that USEC has uh, just recently launched is what we call our our Dare to Compare uh, uh, campaign. And, uh, and that's, that's really about encouraging our customers to dig into the, the data and the, and, the, and the science to compare the advantages of US, uh, using U.S. soy. And, uh, you know, today we have a, a lot better understanding of soy. It's, it's composition um, and the components that are most important in, in different applications from, you know, from feeding livestock to refining the oil.
0: Yeah, there's so much, as I said, goes into market development work, and uh, I think sometimes that's taken for granted. We just talk about, oh, here, here's another sale. That's good news. We're happy. But what went on behind the scenes to make that sale happen? I think uh, work done by USAC and others uh, on, to develop those markets, and we need to talk more about that. And I'm glad we had the chance to do that today. Thank you very much.
6: You're welcome. Great to be with you
0: monty peterson chair of the u.s soybean export council a little bit later we'll talk more about market development work we'll talk with the president and ceo of the u.s grains council what they're uh, dealing with during this pandemic but up next usda undersecretary bill Northey. some things going on at usda we want to bring you up to date on that's coming up next stay with us you're listening to aoa Cenex Premium Diesel comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn to optimize performance in all engines.
4: A cold front can slow the world to a crawl, but with Cenex Premium Diesel, your fleet can power through. Senex Roadmaster XL Seasonally Enhanced comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn, optimizing cold weather performance over typical number two diesel. So rather than complaining about the cold, own it with cenex premium diesel cenex premium diesel diesel that doesn't mess around
1: Adams on agriculture conversations with policymakers the movers and shakers in the ag industry the pros and cons of issues important to you cutting through the spin to get to the heart of a topic and giving you the information you need to know Every weekday, Mike Adams brings you guests important to the ag industry. It's quite simply information farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture.
7: Time now for a market check here on Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. With grain and oil seed sector an easier tone in corn and in soybeans, rainfall in dry areas of Brazil triggering a move lower for the grains overnight. The overnight trade trending in defensive territory. Showers dotting the driest areas of northern and central Brazil. Export sales of U.S. wheat hitting 192,400 metric tons for the week ending November 12th. That's a marketing year low, according to USDA this week's total down 36% from the previous week, 62% from the prior four week average. In wheat futures, Chicago December down a half, 597 and a quarter, March down a penny and three quarters, 604 and three quarters of a cent. Kansas City wheat December down 3 and a quarter at 554 and a half. Minneapolis spring wheat December a penny and a quarter higher at 551 and a half. March up a penny and three quarters, five sixty nine. In corn, December down five and a quarter at four hundred twenty and three quarters. March down four and a quarter at four twenty six and a quarter. Soybean futures, January down five and a quarter, 11.70 and a half. March eleven sixty-eight and a quarter down six and a half cents. Livestock at the Merck and Feeder Cattle Futures, January down twenty at one thirty-seven ten. March at one thirty-six fifty-five, down thirty-five. Live cattle, December down eighty-five at one hundred nine eighty. February down a dollar five at one twelve oh seven. Lean hog futures, December down a dollar sixty at sixty-four twenty. February down a dollar ninety-seven at sixty-three ninety. Outside markets on Wall Street: the Dow down ninety-five, Nasdaq up thirty-six, S P and P down nine. December crude oil down twenty-two cents. You're listening to AOA. I'm Rusty Halverson. From the American Ag Network.
8: I can't get my computer to work. Let me help you with that. How'd you do that? I just got techie with Geeks On Site.
1: Our geeks literally come on site. You and those in your office will never have to wait hours to have your technical questions answered. Get your free computer diagnosis today with your very own geek. Get started now and we'll help you instantly. Call 866-967-3879. 866-967-3879. That's
0: 866-967-3879. And welcome back. We're waiting to uh, hear from Bill North, the USDA Undersecretary. We hope to have a chance to talk with Bill here in just a few moments. One of the things we want to talk about, the Agriculture Department is uh, making a change in commodity program eligibility rules that would have unintentionally made it harder for some members of family farming operations to qualify for top payments, according to... uh, a top official. And joining us now is USDA Undersecretary Bill Northey. Bill, thanks a lot. Good to talk with you. I was just uh, trying to go into this uh, announcement from USDA, a change in uh, eligibility rules that would have made it difficult for some members of family farming operations to qualify for payments. So uh, tell us about this change.
9: Yeah, we had, uh, there's a lot of rule changes that happen in a farm bill. And and you know, when we put some pieces together, the rule that we had announced would have actually made family farm operations have to comply with the same requirements of non-family operations for eligibility and, and management requirements and those kinds of things. That was not what Congress intended. That was not really what we intended when we wrote it. Um, but once we realized it did it, we, we needed to roll back to the language that we had had. um, And so we went back to that. In fact, Congress actually added nieces and nephews to family operations. So they obviously intended them to be different than non-family operations. And so this allowed us to go back um, and make the correction and go back to the way Congress intended and for us the way we intended it to, to be as well.
0: So is this effective immediately then?
9: It is, yeah, and it really mostly impacts. I believe it only impacts ARC PLC, um, and it would have impacted the ARC PLC sign-up that is happening now for 2021 crop year, where payments will be made in fall of 2022. Uh, so it didn't. It didn't impact anybody's payments that were just made in ARC PLC. Uh, a month ago, uh, wouldn't have actually impacted anybody's um, payments for 2020 crop year, that will be made next fall. Um, it's really about uh, the crop year 2021 and uh, payment in October of 2022. So plenty of time to fix it, but it was time to get it fixed as quick as we can so we didn't force folks to think they had to change around their operation and do things different or lose eligibility. It was important to get it corrected.
0: Talking with USDA under Secretary Bill Northey. Bill, can you give us an update on CFAP two? How's that going?
9: Yeah, it's going very well, Mike. Um, I think we're about five to six hundred million in payments a week. I think we're about ten point two billion in payments right now, ten point one or ten point two billion. Um, and on our way to a projected amount of up to fourteen billion um and uh, so continue uh, to get folks signing up and we need folks to because we have a deadline uh what in a little over three weeks so december 11th uh is the final day for sign up for cpap 2.
0: i want to get your thoughts bill what looks like going to be a change it's not official yet but it uh, looks like a, a transition here now uh would ask you to look back on your time here at USDA. Uh, these have been some uh, some difficult times with all that's gone on with uh, trade wars and pandemics. Uh, you at USDA have been administering uh, these assistance programs. Uh, and, you know, you've had some criticism of how they've been handled. And that's, you know, you had to create some very complex programs kind of in almost in a short period of time. So what's your as you look back on it now, your thoughts on how it's gone and uh your and you think you were able to get done what you'd hope to be able to get done.
9: Yeah, I, I think so, Mike. <clears throat> I you know, I think everybody probably could tell you how their time is unique and certainly certainly the last uh three plus years or four years have been unique as well, uh, with the need for an ad hoc uh MFP one and two and and for um, a CFAP 1 and 2 to respond to the coronavirus losses folks are feeling. And then, of course, I mean, really the first ad hoc disaster program, the WIP program in WIP Plus, um, in almost 10 years uh, as well. So standing those all up as well as standing up a a 2018 farm bill uh, and just carrying through programs and then having a six-week shutdown uh, where we – where we weren't able to have some folks in some of our offices, uh, just because we weren't able to pay them, uh, and now coronavirus. So, lots of pieces. Um, I think we, you know, I think farmers uh, certainly felt the support uh, that the the president, the secretary, and all of us here at USDA have for our farmers, and a way to be creative to be able to help them um, each of the losses were different, whether it was a trade loss or coronavirus loss, and it was affecting different industries differently. In fact, the to CPAP-2 probably is the broadest program we've ever created. Nearly, nearly every ag producer out there is likely to be eligible in one commodity or another uh, to be able to sign up for that program. So um, I think we've got a good crew that has put these together. We got folks that care about our farmers. Uh, we tried to improve each time around. We rolled out a program. We're not, not so proud of, of what we did that we couldn't listen and, and try and make it better. I think CFAP 2, definitely an improvement on CFAP 1. Um, and then, uh, the farmers in the countryside. Uh, what an amazing group of folks. Um, I've gotten a chance to get around the country and talk to folks as well as our folks in our office. Our, Our folks in our offices are so loyal to those farmers. Um, They work hard in this crazy time, and our farmers work work with our folks um, and to watch how they all responded to the uncertainty of coronavirus and continue to produce and work hard and humble and get things done. Uh, We have an amazing agriculture in this country, and it's just been good to be a small part of it.
0: Well, you knew going in that... uh... Not everybody was going to be happy. There were criticisms that uh, too much went to big operations or too much went to certain commodities or too much went to certain states, not to others. Uh, how do you answer those critics?
9: Um, you know, I think we uh, we have we we take them one at a time if we want to go through and explain why we did what we did and and uh, certainly, Listen and understand and understand if th- we ought to do something different going forward, but egg production egg uh, production in this country is is carried on by all size operations and and certainly all size operations fell to hit when prices were lower uh, fell to hit when coronavirus came and disrupted them um, and that was from specialty crop operations in in a a small town in Vermont, to large operations in California, and all the different commodities, um, I really have learned a lot about the diversity of our ag producers, uh, even within the same commodity, but certainly across commodities, and and what a challenge it is to try and be appropriate in the way that you deliver uh, some dollars of support to try and bridge them to what it feels like now, at least price-wise, uh, for much of agriculture, a lot better time, uh, at least with, you know, we've got folks that are actually talking about doing cash flows right now, where they may actually be able to sit down with their banker and show a profit for 2021 without ad hoc government payments. Um, and, and And we kept land prices, you know, it was farmers that decided what they were going to pay for land and whether they were moving land or not. But Land prices stayed solid through this um, important equity on people's balance sheets and 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 that was um you know the really the strength of agriculture and then the responsiveness of of government when when we need to step in and help a
8: little
0: well I always say there's no such thing as a perfect program, no perfect government program that you do the best you can uh, with the situation that you're dealing with and um I think bottom line, a lot of people that were in need were, were helped. And I think that if you, you look at it from that standpoint, uh, any thoughts on your plans moving forward? You know, um, certainly right now,
9: I just keep taking care of business. We've got uh, these programs to get, get out. We've got to make sure that folks are aware of dairy margin coverage, sign up and MFP a uh, uh, CFAP sign up as well as a, upcoming crp program in january and and i'll be here as as long as i have authority to be here and, and working at things and we got a great crew here uh to that that bridge administrations if if that's what happens um i'll see i'm not worried about um what future brings whether it was coming here from a great job that i had before as secretary of ag in iowa um there there are so many opportunities in agriculture and so many good people to work with um there'll, there'll be something uh, when that time comes
0: well i wish you the best thank you for everything that you've done and continue to do uh, for agriculture appreciate it and uh, always appreciated you bringing that farmer perspective to usda into these programs and to uh, difficult complex issues thanks bill wish you the very best Thank
9: you, Mike. Appreciate it. Always great to talk, and thanks for getting the word out to folks. Um, we got a great ag that we get to be a part of. Thank you. you t-
0: All right. Take care. Say hi to your folks for me and uh, wish you the best. Thanks, Bill. Bill Northey, USDA Undersecretary. All right. Coming up next, we'll talk with the president and CEO of the U.S. Grains Council, Ryan LeGrand. Talk about uh, their work in developing markets for U.S. grains around the world during a pandemic. That's up next here on AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Atoms on Agriculture, brought to you by Sinex Premium Diesel. Sinex Premium Diesel, diesel that doesn't mess around. As an organ donor, your story doesn't have to end,
6: but good in you can live on. In fact, you could save up to eight lives with your gifts. Your heart could keep beating, your kidneys could keep filtering, and your intestines could Go to organdonor.gov. It saves lives. U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health
5: Resources and Services Administration.
8: What do Mick Jagger, Barbara Walters, and Starr Jones all have in common? They've all suffered from something called heart valve disease. Heart valve disease affects 11 million Americans, and if left untreated, can lead to death. In your everyday business operations,
2: there are endless things you can't control. Fuel prices don't have to be one of them. With the Average Price Contracting program available at FS, we can provide you with a way to reduce the uncertainty of fluctuating fuel prices. It's a smart and convenient way for you to know what your fuel costs are going to be, so that you can enjoy a little peace of mind. The Average Price Contracting Program at FS is just one more way that we can help take your business further. Contact your FS energy specialist today. Visit GoFurtherWithFS.com for more information.
4: Meet Keith, loving dad, board game champ, bus driving pro.
6: I drive 65,000 miles in my bus each year. If people knew what I know, lives could be saved. Like how there are some things I simply can't see. On my route the other day, a car tried to sneak past me and ends up right in my blind spot. I turned slowly, so accident avoided. But no car should be in the blind spot a
5: 40,000-pound bus.
4: It's our roads. It's our our safety. safety.
5: Visit www.sharetheroadsafely.gov.
4: A cold front can slow the world to a crawl. But with Cenex Premium Diesel, your fleet can power through. Cenex Roadmaster XL Seasonally Enhanced comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn optimizing cold weather performance over typical number two diesel. So rather than complaining about the cold, own it with Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around.
0: Recently on Adams on Agriculture, let's talk about ag equipment sales. Kurt Blades, Senior Vice President, Ag Services for the Association of Equipment Manufacturers.
3: The October numbers for tractor and combine sales here in the United States are positive across the board. we a nice recovery. Certainly continues to be driven by that small tractor market, but boy, we're seeing some really nice signs of life in row crop tractors and shore tractors and articulated flowable drive tractors and self-propelled combines. We were starting to see that in October with these October numbers and this rally we've had this past week on prices. I would certainly hope that that momentum will continue through October and all, all the way through the end of the year. So we can end 2020 as a positive year for uh, ag equipment sales. Now, looking forward to 2021, you know, those numbers are still also looking positive. I think there's just a fair amount of optimism in, in farm country right now. And that's, that's a good thing for agriculture. That's a good thing for rural America. And that's certainly a good thing for the equipment manufacturers.
0: For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. We talked earlier in the program with the chair of the U.S. Soybean Export Council about the challenges of market development work during a pandemic. Someone who can relate to that is our next guest, Ryan Legrand, president and CEO of the U.S. Grains Council. Ryan, thank you for joining us. Uh, Challenging times, but, but you're still able to get a lot done and have been able to get a lot done this year, haven't you?
10: Yeah, that's right. Good morning, Mike. Thanks for having me on today uh it these have been challenging times uh you know but one thing that has really been a bright spot in all of this uh, has has been exports of u.s grain and feed you look at our corn exports and 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 they're just off the charts versus last year and and, and many years before it uh sitting at 35 million metric tons of corn corn shipments or corn exports on the books right now versus 12 and a half million tons at the same time last year and then you look at sorghum 3.8 3.8 million tons on the books for this marketing year versus 820,000 tons at this time last year. So we're just off to a great start in terms of, of grain exports this year.
0: And I want to talk more about this. I, I mentioned this earlier, that I, I think some people think if if countries need, then they buy, we have it, they buy from us. Uh, it's not that simple. Uh, it, So much goes on behind the scenes to make the kind of numbers you just gave uh, possible, right? I mean, uh, the the development, the education, the promotion, all that goes into it.
10: Yeah, that's exactly right. And we're able to do that work with our eight offices around the world and our full-time presence in 28 countries, programs in over 50 countries. You know, We have our boots on the ground in many areas around the world promoting these grains, Making sure that uh, the trying to help uh, guide policy decisions in foreign countries to to provide better access for our grains, uh, looking to knock down uh, sanitary and phytosanitary barriers, barriers like biotech. So there's a lot of work that that, that has to be done before a sale is ever made.
0: Well, let's talk about markets other than China for a moment. What are some of the markets with the, we've seen the most growth and have the most most growth potential
10: Well, yeah, o- outside of China, you you've got your your typical customers, uh, Mexico, Japan, uh, they're they're when you look at their corn sales that we had to them last year, they're showing growth. I mean, they they're not the markets that we look at that are just uh, you know, they they've been there for a long time. They haven't been growing by leaps and bounds. They've just been steady solid customers over the last several years and they are showing some some small signs of growth. Uh, versus last year as well so that's good to see Uh, you know a lot of the growth that we expect going forward is is southeast asia that's an area where where we have our eyes trained on and and programs and very active there looking for growth in southeast asia that's a very dynamic region and one that we want to continue to participate in going forward
0: so what everybody wants to know is how much longer is China going to keep this pace up of buying? And do you think they'll keep this up? What are your thoughts?
10: I think it's very possible. We think the demand is there. You know, China's hog herd was decimated by ASF. But they're starting to build that back. And I think they're. you know, estimates are all over the board. But um, some of the most reliable estimates I've heard is that they're back, back to about 80% capacity from where they were pre-ASF. So some of that demand is going, coming back. And in the meantime, some other important things happened. Uh, during ASF, the, the, the outbreak, China started uh, putting in uh, poultry operations in mass scale, uh, some beef operations as well. So that, that's gonna be sustained demand going forward. Uh, as the, the hog herd continues to come back, we're gonna have that poultry and beef demand that is there that, that, that wasn't there in the numbers that they are today. And then another important thing that a lot of people don't talk about is the feeding of uh, recycled food waste in China. That That is no longer allowed uh, to feed to hogs. So they, this is part of their attempts to uh, fight against ASF. They're not allowing the feeding of, of this recycled food waste. So it all goes to a corn and soy diet. And that's creating a lot of demand that wasn't there before as well. So we do think it's going to be sustained, I think the imports are going to vary from year to year. Uh, you know, they're, they're going to look and make market-based decisions, and they're going to go to the most competitive origin. That is us right now. That's the United States right now. It won't always be. That'll ebb and flow. That'll go back and forth, I think, from, from one year to the next. Uh, but we do believe the demand is there and will be sustained in China.
0: Do you think we'll see them buy ethanol and DDGs?
10: I think so. Uh, DDG still has the ADCVD case, the anti-dumping and countervailing duty case case hanging over its head. Uh, those duties are expect, expect, those will expire in January of 2022. So we've got just a little bit over a year left. But, uh, China has proven that when they need a product and they have a product that works well into their rations, they'll, they'll find a way to buy it. Uh, so I'm hoping that uh, that we're able to get distillers grains in ahead of that expiry through some type of waiver or, or or some other measure to where we can we can get that product in. Ethanol, we've seen a couple of vessels trade recently, uh, nothing on a mass scale at all, but we have seen a couple of U- vessels of US ethanol go over there. I, I think it's a price play. We need. We need driving demand to come back. We need that historical price relationship to come back into form to where uh, gasoline is priced higher than, than ethanol. And then I think at that point you'll see some big volumes of U.S. ethanol flowing to China.
0: Well, Ryan, it's been quite a year. We, we know there have been plenty of downs, but there have been some ups too and some uh, successes some victories in, in market development work. And uh, congratulations to you and the folks at the U.S. Grains Council. Thank you very much.
10: Well, thank you, Mike. Nice talking with you today.
0: All right. Take care. Ryan LeGrand, President and CEO. Of the U.S. Grains Council, you know, for all the negative stories we've had in 2020, and there's certainly been plenty of them, and still are, uh, there's been some successes too, and including the the exports and the market development work and the sales we've we've had and able to move product around the world. So uh, that's going to be key as we move forward. Well, that wraps it up for today. Thank you so much for joining us. Have a safe day, everyone. Hope you can be with us again tomorrow, right here on AOA.